Lord, first this morning, we want to lift up uh, Johnny Henderson, pastor of uh, First Baptist Church in Commerce. Lord, we want to pray for Johnny and his marriage and pray that he is enjoying you, that he is shepherding his wife well, that he is amazed by the gospel. Pray for his study time, that he is um, overwhelmed with your grace and your mercy, that he is uh, feasting on your word, that he is work, working in your word and kicking and poking and scratching for the truth week by week that your people may be grown and equipped. Lord, we pray that you are adored in that body. Lord, we pray that you are worshipped. Lord, we pray that you will guard them, that you will guard, guard us and every other Christ-confessing church in this community and in commerce from ever just going through the motions and getting our church on, but that we week by week are sitting and dining and being equipped for your glory. Lord, I pray that in any way that we could have a spirit of competition or any way that they might, any other Christian church in this community, that you will break our hearts over that, that we'll repent from that, and that we'll truly cheer for each other and pray for great things for your glory. Lord, in these next few minutes for this people, I pray that we'll sit and dine, that we'll be fed, that we'll walk away with our minds and hearts illuminated Walk away with a deeper, richer understanding of what it means to be a servant. Or I pray that we'll walk away with a deeper, richer understanding of what it means to be salty and bright and aromatic as a people and the means that you have chosen and ordained to lead the church and inspire the church and mobilize the church and move the church. We turn this time over to you for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Is this thing on? Okay. This morning we have sort of a special time in the life of our church. It's the third time in six years that we have had the privilege and uh, joy of recognizing some new deacons. Every time that we do this, I try and reapproach the story fresh and new and trying to understand in a better way what it means to be a servant for every single one of us, what it means to be a deacon as one that is recognized by the church as a, a servant to the people of God, and for us to re-engage that and in some ways to, uh, like the psalmist picture of singing a new song, it's not write a new song every time you sing a song, it's sing newly. Re-engage it newly. So we're trying to re-engage these things newly. So this morning, I want to engage especially, I want to engage everyone, but I especially want to engage our current deacons and the ones that we'll be recognizing this morning. Bill Ruth, Gary Carroll, Scott Sutton, Cody Holt, Jeff Ott, Ken Rodden, Jeff Wade, Mark Atkinson, and Mark McKinney. And then newly this morning... Clay Petzold, Drew Livingood, Aaron Hamilton, John Hicks, and Scott Fiesel. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 20. As you're turning there, I want to share with you, give you kind of a map of where we're going this morning. Before I do that, I want to just share a thought with you. I grew up in Southern Baptist Church, and um, I'm grateful for how I was raised from my earliest days. I was in the doors of church. I'm thankful for what I saw. I'm thankful for what I learned. 
whenever I contrast maybe where the church that I grew up in with where we are as a people, I want to do that carefully and humbly and gratefully thankful for the shoulders that we stand on, but I want to do it truthfully. I'll share with you coming up in the church, in Southern Baptist Church, I was under a model that may be familiar to many of y'all, a single, single pastor model, where there's one guy that's shepherding the church. And functionally, I think as a dysfunctional, I say functionally, as a dysfunctional byproduct of that broken model, oftentimes a single pastor church has a misunderstood view of deacons. And some of you heard the jokes or heard the stories or hear what people say about deacons. He's a deacon in the church. Or the deacon started a, a thing against the pastor and ran him off. Or you've heard the stories. Likely, if you haven't been around the church for a period of time, you will hear the stories. It is one of the most misunderstood offices in the church. And I think that in some weird way, it's actually been a byproduct of the single pastor model. Our Bibles point toward plural leadership in the local body, more than one pastor, elders. And if you have elders, then you have all the things that the single pastor model has been trying to get. You have accountability. You don't need a buffer between the pastor and the body because <laughs> you have shepherds that are leading the body and you have this complement of personalities, gifting that's greater than some of their parts and there's a wisdom that comes out of them that's greater than any single one of them. So they're each dependent on each other, and the church is dependent on them. And that's the picture of the plural model of pastors, of elders. And then if that's there, then you don't need what oftentimes the current deacon body serves as, as a buffer between pastor and church or people, or as accountability to that single pastor dude, where you got some guys that can kind of watch him and keep tabs on him. What you have, I believe, with the plural picture of leadership in the body with elders is you can let deacons be what the Bible says deacons are. So that's what we want to be. And at the same time, I, again, I'm thankful for where I come from, and I recognize that while it was less than ideal, it was, um, I think, in pursuit of great things for God, but we can be pursuit of the best things for God if we let the Word just say, well, here's what it is. So that's what we're going to do this morning is just see what the Word says about this deacon. In the Greek, the word is diakonos. I'll use that word frequently this morning, so don't be alarmed by it. It's just a, you can imagine how deacon could come from diakonos. What I want to do first is look at just a few passages in our Gospels of diakonos, lowercase d, just regular old servants. Not, diak not diakonos in the local church, but just servants. I want you to see what they're doing because they're things that you're doing, hopefully. They're not proper or limited, limited only to the higher uppercase d, deacon, but it's all servants. Here's the first one, Mark, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 20, or we'll start in verse 20. The mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, he says, you don't even know what you're asking for. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? He must have been looking at those two guys, James and John. And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those, but it's for those for whom it's been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Y'all didn't even tell us that y'all were going to go pursuing the right hand and the left hand. But Jesus called them all to himself. Okay, y'all come here. It's a teachable moment. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. He restates it. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to be a deacon. To be diakonos and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're going to look at a few pictures, but you're going to see something familiar, the theme that starts to come out here, where Jesus is teaching these guys who are competing for glory competing for a seat at the right hand or the left hand of Jesus. And he's saying, whoever would be great among you must be your diakonos. If someone wants to be first among you, he must be your slave. That's another word for servant. It's the Greek word doulos. Mark chapter 9, you can flip over there since we're not far from it. Mark chapter 9. Verse 33, this is a different account. Sometimes when you read something in one of the Gospels, it's just a restatement of the same account. This is a different event. Same dudes, same Jesus. You think that you would get it, but listen to this. Chapter 9, verse 33 of Mark, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you guys discussing while we were walking on our way here? But they kept silent. These guys are embarrassed and ashamed. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was going to be the greatest. And he sat down again. Okay. (laughs) All right. Y'all come on. Have a seat. Everybody pull up a chair. And he called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and must be diakonos of all. If anyone would be great, he must be your servant. If anyone would be first, he must be your slave. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and diakonos of all. Matthew chapter 11, there, or 23 verse 11, it's the same picture. He says it again, another account, where he says, The greatest among you shall be your diakonos. Take this in, what is developing here between Jesus, our Lord, and his disciples. More than once, those who walked with him... Those who walked with the one that scooped the oceans and piled up the mountains. The ones that walked with the one who cast the stars into their galaxies. Are arguing about who's going to be the greatest? That's that's just ironic. They're so worldly here that they're focused on who's going to be greatest when they're walking with true greatness. What these guys are doing is they're illustrating the natural man. Because the natural man, you and me left to our own device without this word working in us that grows us downward. This is what the natural man does. He competes with God and he competes with everybody else for glory. (laughs) 
I want the glory. That's the natural man. This is so otherworldly where the first is last and where the greatest serves. It's so otherworldly. Plato, in fact, said, how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? Now, he may have been a pretty smart dude sitting around thinking all day long. But he's reflecting the worldly natural mind right there. How can a man be happy when he's got to serve all day long? That's just plain yucky. But our Jesus teaches something different. He does what I've called, it's an official term that I've, I'm going to put a circle C behind it, a divine switcheroo. It doesn't work that way in my kingdom. He does what's been called the great reversal, where he takes what the world says is great, and he says, nope, that's last. He says, what's great is truly what I will define as great, and that's what the world calls last. He says, the truly great in my kingdom are the lowest and the least and the last, and that is diakonos. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. We're just going to stay right here, kind of in the Gospels area, so it won't be difficult to flip around. You need your Bible up in this house. No opinion, just exposition of word. Matthew chapter 22, verse 11. This is embedded within a parable where Jesus is telling a parable, sharing a parable about a wedding feast where all these people are invited. But I want you to keep an eye on the attendance. In verse 11, when the king came in and looked at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the diakonos, the attendant. The king says to the attendant, to the diakonos, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. Watch what's happening here. The king and the master is speaking to the servant, and the servant is going to carry out the instructions of the king. That's what diakonos does. He carries out the wishes of the master. Another picture of that is in John chapter 2, verse 5. You don't need to turn there. I'll just kind of share the story with you. It's the first miracle shared in the book of John. We don't know that it's the first miracle that he ever did. It may have been, but it's at least the first one represented in the book of John. They had a wedding feast. Kind of ironic that here there's a parable, and then here's a real event. We had a wedding feast, and they run out of wine. This was a bad deal at a wedding feast. They're out of wine, and that was actually, they could take legal action on a host that ran out of wine at a wedding feast. That's the, how big of a deal it was. That's serious, for real. So, What unfolds here, at least what's shared with us in John chapter 2, is that Mary comes to Jesus and Mary brings the servants, or there's that picture that the servants are with her somehow. Like you can imagine what unfolded. The servants come to Mary. In some way, she was like the matron of honor or some serving some sort of capacity, of official capacity, where they come to her, hey, Mary, we're out of wine. The diakonos. They come to Mary and they say, hey, we don't have any wine. So Mary goes to the only one that she knows that can really do something about that. She goes to the Lord and the Lord turns to those diakonos and says, go take those pitchers, pour out the water, draw some new water, and then they go serve it to the master. And it's the finest wine they've ever tasted. But the king, the king of kings... And the master of the ceremony are both involved in this setting where the diakonos is doing the work of the king. But I want you to envision what what it's like for the servant at a wedding. It's probably a lot like what it's like for a servant at a banquet. 
Some of y'all have been to a banquet. Most of y'all have been to some sort of setting where there's someone that's walking around going, where's the empty glass? Where's the empty glass? Here you go. Oh, your plate's empty. Let me go get you some more d'oeuvres. Do you need a chair? Oh, the bathrooms are that way. And where's the master of the ceremony that I can make sure that he has everything that he needs? That's the picture of the diakonos in this setting. The diakonos has an eye for people with empty glasses. The diakonos has an eye for people with empty plates. And he's about filling those glasses, charging those glasses, and filling those plates and meeting those needs. That's just who he is. So, so far, we have the picture that the diakonos is the greatest and the first because he's the last and the least and the lowest. Secondly, that the diakonos carries out the orders of the king. Third, that he has an eye for those who have empty glasses, those who have a need, and he's attentive to those while he's tending to the master of the ceremony. Now turn to John chapter 12. A couple more things we're going to look at. John chapter 12. It's familiar territory for us. We were here at some point recently in some past time, age. John chapter 12, verse 26. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, this is the verb form of diakonos. If anyone serves me, it would be like if anyone is deaconing me, he must follow me. That where I am, there will be my deacon. If anyone deacons me, the Father will honor him. What he's saying here is is that serving or deaconing is following Jesus. You could be a nice guy and you can help a lot of people out, but if you're disconnected from faith, then that's not diakonos. That it is inextricably, it is connected, it is bound to following Jesus. Because where you find Jesus, there you will find his deacon. There you will find diakonos. And what you also find is that the Father honors this lowly attendant who looks for empty glasses. The Father is about honoring that man who is tending to those with empty glasses. What the world considers lowly and undesirable, the Lord considers sublime. What the world considers as undesirable and yucky, Plato, who wants to do that? The Lord considers supreme and first and greatest. And it must be because it reflects who he was and is. If you know the rest of the story, right there, just the next chapter in John, at his Lord's Supper, the supper that he's taking before he goes to the cross, where he's going to be sweating drops of blood in the garden, praying, take this cup from me. This meal that I'm just going to say, he must have thought, this is my meal. At that meal, he takes off his outer cloak. He takes a towel, he wraps it around himself. He takes a basin. He takes some water. And he does what the lowliest of low do. And he washes the dirty, nasty feet of proud men who compete for their own glory. Man, that's a servant. Must be why he's so fond of him because he's the alpha servant. Plato would not be impressed with that alpha servant. 
I turn to Acts chapter 6. I'm going to show you one more thing that the deacon does. And then we'll look next in just a moment at who the deacon is. Acts chapter 6. This is sort of a key reference for understanding the role of the deacon. So in the days of the early church, beginning in verse 1, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that would be the Jews, or excuse me, the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Hey, man, why is it that all the Jewish widows are getting hooked up while all the Greek widows are being ignored? That's basically, that's a pretty good, hey, what's up? That's what they're saying. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and they said, you know what? It's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. It's not right that we should have to be wandering around charging empty glasses. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. You guys nominate them. We'll search them and appoint them. And that's exactly what we have done as a church. And we're about to do what it says here in a moment. And the apostles say, we can devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's what the elder is able to do when the deacon is deaconing. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And that's what we're about to do. Here in a few minutes. So the picture here, we've added one more thing to this little list that we're developing. The diakonos is the greatest and the first because he's the last and the least and the lowest. The diakonos carries out the orders of the king. The diakonos is walking around saying, who has an empty glass? Who has an empty plate? The diakonos is serving Jesus as he serves the body. And then what we just added is that Diakonos frees up the elders to pray and study by attending to the needs of the body. I did a lot of study this week on deaconing, just starting from scratch. I just climb into kind of this truth gumbo, just every resource that I can grab and try and just get a whole new sense and understanding. And I found some interesting stuff on deaconing. I found that one of the guys that's handled it most thoroughly is a guy named John Calvin. I also realize that that's the second time I've mentioned that man's name since I've been a pastor at Crosspoint because we serve in an interesting context. In Greenville, if anybody says the word John Calvin, then they immediately associate it with Calvinists and they go, oh, this mean, despicable guy that's somehow thrown a wrench in the gospel. What you need to appreciate, if it wasn't for John Calvin and Martin Luther and Zwingli and John Knox, men like that, I'd be wearing a pointy hat and you'd be paying for some indulgences today. You probably wouldn't have a copy of this Bible in your lap either. It's just a poor, ignorant misunderstanding of who this man is and what he stood for. But I found that John Calvin was a French reformer and theologian in the 1500s. He was also a pastor. John Calvin, for a period of his life, he served the church in Geneva, nearly 30 years. Geneva, Switzerland. And he wrote these words when he showed up to this church in Geneva, Switzerland. Listen to this, Cross Point Fellowship. He said, when I first came to this church, there was as good as nothing here. 
automatically you think, okay, dead church. They're probably not preaching the word, something. Look what he said. When I first came to this church, there was as good as nothing here. There was preaching, and that was all. You hear that? There was preaching, and that was all. He goes on to address the office of pastor, and he says, Whatever others may hold, we cannot think elders so narrowly of our office that when preaching is done, our task is fulfilled. And you can't think, people of God, that once you've heard it, that it's been done. He said, we can't think that our task has been fulfilled, that we may take our rest. What he believed is that the mark of a true church was not just that the gospel was preached accurately with chest hair, but that it was lived out. And you know who he looked to when he showed up at the church in Geneva? He looked to the diaconate. He looked to the deacons to be the ones that would be the most responsive to the weekly message, to be the ones that would be living it out, to the ones that would be mobilizing the body to go do what they're hearing. He looked to the diakonos, his solution to a truth-eating church with little to no expression was the deacon. Deacons, are you swallowing hard? Those who are about to be appointed, are you swallowing hard? Gulp? He treated the diaconate like it was what the church should be. He treated the diaconate like they would be the cream of the faith. The most responsive, the most hungry. He described them, a quote that I'll read later, but I'm just taking a little excerpt. He described the diaconate as chosen by God to be like the hands of God. That gives me goosebumps just saying that. And I wrote this days ago. Man, to be the hands of God. Let me show you what this looks like in practical terms. Here's deacons, pay attention. Body, pay attention too, because I'm about to incorporate you into this. Listen, practical terms. Deacons are to care for what God has given this body from a building to a piece of property, to widows and orphans, and everything in between. They are to supply and prepare the communion. They are to ready the baptismal waters. Deacons are to collect the tithes and offerings from the people of God. You see them do it every week. And... They are to administer those funds for those in need, both in and out of the body, but especially to those who are in the body. They are to administer gifts, spiritual gifting for those in need, attentive to the spiritual gifting of the body. Now, those of you who've been deacons for the last few years, you're sitting there going, whoa, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. That's why we have a chance to revisit this and learn more about who you are and what's to be expected of you. And body, you're to be understanding more and more what this person does. They are to have an assessment. They're to know who has had what experience in their life where God equipped them to minister over here. Who has an empty glass here that can be charged by this dude? How about that, deacons? Man, you got to know your people you got to have people in your homes to know what experiences have happened to them. You gotta, they got to hear their testimonies. Deacons are to be poised and ready to serve in all sorts of crises. 
doing so biblically informed. You got to know your Bible. You got to know how to minister to somebody. And you don't keep your mouth shut while you're filling the glass. You're sharing. Man, did you hear what Jesus said over here? Isn't he awesome? Pointing the people of God back to the Word. They're to handle the greeting and welcoming of those new to us or visiting us. Some of you this morning were seated by a deacon doing that very same thing. They are to administer assistance with living situations. Some of you are on the receiving end of that. They're to assist, administer assistance in those needing child care and those even having physical needs of really any and every sort. And here's the reality. Deacons don't have to ask permission to do these things. Deacons are unleashed to get it done. But here's something that all of you need to know is that deacons aren't the only ones doing the work. If you're a deacon, you're probably sitting there going, man, you're sweating by now. Golly, you're adding all this kind of stuff to us. Man, I want to kind of reassess. <laughs> deacons aren't expected to do all the ministry of the church, but they are responsible to see that it gets done. You know what that means? It means that they are, their job, part of their job is to mobilize the rest of you. You may get a phone call from a deacon saying, hey, man, I need your help with this. Hey, I want you to serve with me in the greeting ministry because those who are visiting here for the church first time need to know that we are grateful that they're here. Seem like a small deal? Last and the lowest and the least are the greatest, man. A small deal? This is just what deacons do. They are to mobilize you in the accomplishment of these things. Now, let's take a look at who these people are. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> Paul gives Timothy a pretty detailed explanation of who the deacon should be. Who's qualified to be a deacon? It's right after a section where he addresses who's qualified to be an elder. So we're going to unpack this. We need to understand it. Those who are about to be appointed as deacons have been searched for these things, but those who are currently deacons have the chance to revisit these things and go, whoa, I needed to be stirred up by way of reminder that this is who I am. See, we get identity amnesia. I, I, I forget. That's why we need to be stirred up by way of reminder. Here's the first thing. Let me show you too before I read it. Pay attention here in verse 8 where it says, deacons likewise must be. That must be means that these just aren't kind of an optional list of things that we kind of look for somebody that might hit a couple of them. It means that the deacons must be these things to be qualified and to remain qualified. This is what the deacon must be. First of all, the deacon must be. There's four things that are observable. And these first four things are that they must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to wine, and the fourth thing, not fond of sordid gain. I want to unpack those. First of all, dignified. The word dignified there means that they are to be reverent. It means the deacons are to walk around with their hands folded at all times. And... <laughs> now, it means that they are to be reverable. That's, that's not a word. Circle C. They are to be respectable. They are to be worthy of respect. And honor. The deacon needs to be not necessarily Mr. Serious all the time, Mark Atkinson. <laughs> it's okay to be kind of a joker. But let me tell you something a deacon's got to be serious about the things it should be serious about. He's not the class clown 
He's serious about the things that are important. And this fits with the Acts chapter 6, verse 3 picture that we just read a minute ago. Choose from among you men of good reputation. Men that are respectable. Secondly, these men are not to be double-tongued. Kind of a common current-day version of that is they're not to be guys that are talking out both sides of their mouth. They're not to be double-tongued, meaning that he's not to be saying one thing in one place, like Mr. Spiritual at corporate worship, but saying something else somewhere else. He's not to be a mean-spirited jerk at home and super spiritual in public. And if the mouth is a reflection of the heart, then it means that his heart is accurately reflected in all settings. The deacon should pray with the elder that we're the same people, people here that we are at home. That our wives are not seeing us or hearing us preach and going, that's not my man. <laughs> if only they knew who my man was, mm, it wouldn't be pretty. The deacons to be the same man. Corporately and individually and at home. He should speak the truth and be a man who keeps his word. That's to be single-tongued. Next, he's not to be addicted to wine. The verb here for this not to be addicted, this addicted verb is the verb. It's actually used on the same page. I want to show it to you in chapter 4, verse 13. Paul is telling Timothy, says, Until I come... Devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. That word devote yourself, devote, is the same word that's used here for addiction. As the elder is to be devoted or addicted, (laughs) hear that elders? We're to be addicted to the reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. So the deacon is to be like he's addicted to service. He's to be addicted to serving the body and to being the diakonos, the appointed among them. Let me say this about this. This is so often misunderstood and in our context difficult. It's just a difficult topic. But I want to express the truth whenever we have a chance to engage this. This biblical limitation that God places on the deacon is not abstinence. It's not. For me to say that it's abstinence would be me imposing my thoughts or maybe your thoughts on this passage. We need to acknowledge that it does not mean that we're going to now the drinking church <laughs> because I'm saying that. Because I'm saying this doesn't mean abstinence does not mean all young people go out and get you a six-pack and get tore up. I would never encourage that. But I also don't feel good at all about raising the bar above God's biblical standard. Alcohol consumption was then, as it is now, a very dangerous and volatile issue. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been listed as a separate issue for the elder. The elder must be temperate and not a drunkard. It's not just an issue of temperance. It's an issue. This is a very dangerous substance. And if it's used by the elder or deacon, it should be used moderately and in faith, just like it should with sweets or carbohydrates or gobs of food. I don't want to reduce it to the same level, but it's not far from that. It's an issue of t- it's an issue of moderation, but it is, I acknowledge, a very dangerous issue. So if the elder or deacon decides to partake, it needs to be moderately and in faith. 
Now, if you see a deacon or an elder of Crosspoint at a local restaurant having a beer or a glass of wine with a friend or with his wife, please consider what bothers you if you're bothered. Have they transgressed your law or God's law? And I mean that in all humility. And I realize that some of you have some terrible baggage associated with alcohol. You may have watched a loved one drink themselves to death. You may have a friend that drove a car into a tree drunk. It is a volatile issue. But we are irresponsible if we raise the bar above God's standard. It's not licensed to go get tore up. We're just trying to not be legalistic about this. Legalism is often cloaked in righteousness. But it's legalism at its heart and it's ugly. Next, he is not to be fond of sordid gain. He's not about making the quick buck or he's not about the next scheme, the deacon is. And he's characterized as one with big open hands. He's not focused on making money every possible way that he possibly can. He's focused on meeting needs. It's a totally different orientation. He's going to have the mind of Christ that though he was rich, for our sakes became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. The deacon will reflect this sort of mindset. He should serve in order to make others gain. The diakonos has the same danger that the rest of us have. They're made of the same stuff that the rest of us are made of, elders included, where the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have wandered from the faith in their craving and pierced themselves with many sorrows. That can happen to any single one of us. Any single one of us can have identity amnesia where we forget and we start running off to the world and everything that it offers. We need to pray for those current deacons and the ones to come that they will not be men that are driven by sordid gain but are big-hearted and open-handed, meeting needs and filling cups. That's the character of diakonos. Now, spiritual qualifications. There's two of them. They are to hold to the deep truths of the faith. That's the first thing. The deep truths of the faith are the fuel that ignites the deacon in what he is and what he does. It's not a sense of duty. It's a sense of delight. It's a sense of amazement at the gospel that he serves out of that resource. The deacon needs to have a good grasp on the word of what God tells us. The deacon needs to be like a tree that's planted by streams of water because he's delighting in the law of the Lord that bears its fruit in season. And whose leaf does not wither. A deacon has got to have a handle on the word. The deep truths of the gospel are what keeps him from having identity amnesia. As he'll walk away from that mirror and forget who he is. But the deacon has got to go back to it every day. Like the new mercies. Like the manna that's laying on the ground every morning. I got to remember who I am. Both as a believer and as diakonos. I have to have a grasp of the deep truths of the faith. He needs to have a good grasp on those deep truths so that he can encourage you in your crisis. He's not just filling your cup, but he's opening his mouth saying, remember what, what was taught last week? Remember what God said to us last week? Be encouraged while I fill your glass. Remember what God tells us. Next, he's to hold to these deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Listen to this, deacons, both current and new. A man who is living in sin or is not obeying God in some area of his life cannot have a pure and clear conscience. 
My deacons have to keep a really short account with each other. Deacons ought to be involved in each other's lives. Part of the deacon meeting time ought to be, man, I need some help and I need some prayer in this area because it is crippling the people of God if I'm not walking in obedience. They ought to be seeking out other deacons. They ought to be seeking out the elders, saying, I need help to walk obediently in this area from how I spend my time, from what I'm looking at, from what I'm giving or not giving. I need help to be accountable to the people of God in order to have a clear conscience. The deacon also needs to be tested. Verse 10 there, it says, And let them also be tested first, first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. The deacons should be found blameless in testing. Now, blameless does not mean sinless, or we wouldn't have any deacons. (laughs) We wouldn't have any elders either. Blameless means that he is free of any notorious or persistent fault. He's not withholding in some area of disobedience or sin. There's no fractures. It means he's all there. He's whole. The deacon is to be an open book that when you open it, it has two words there, all there. Not divided, not distracted, not fractured. It's to be like Job, who was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. It's to be like Noah, who was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, because Noah walked with God. The people of God, all of us, should be able to look at any deacon in our body and see blamelessness and see that they are all there. And it's not just an initial qualification. It's who you are. It's who you are to remain. You see why you need to hear this? You see why you need each other to be stirred up by way of reminder who you are. The deacon is to be tested at home also. We're going to skip verse 11 and come back to it. Verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well, husband of one wife means just what it says, husband of one wife. We don't believe this points to divorce because when Paul was talking about divorce, he called it divorce. For man to be a one-woman man is what this means, with eyes for his wife only. Not eyes for those he works with, not wandering eyes for those that he shops with, not imagining virtually or in reality other women. He's got eyes for his woman. He's a one-woman man, for how could he serve the bride, lower uppercase B, the bride of Christ, if he's got divided eyes with his lowercase B, bride? If he's going to be blameless with the people of God, he's got to be blameless in all there with his wife. It's the character who the deacon is. He's a one-woman man. He should manage his children and his household well. Here the deacon is a strong shepherd to his family. He's a pace setter when it comes to shepherding. If the body wants to know what it looks like shepherding, they can look at any of the deacons, or they should be able to, and not only get, a, get guidance, but also see an example. That's what it looks like, because he's leading his family well. Now, I want to come back to verse 11. Verse 11 is a little bit difficult. It says, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. This passage is right here in the middle of this section about elders and deacons, and it's very difficult to understand. I want to acknowledge right up front, any of you, those of you who have ever studied this before, maybe you've been in a church that had female deacons called deaconesses, this is not a bad argument for a deaconess. 
Right here, it's translated their wives, but it could just as easily be translated their women. And actually, the word there is not even in the original language. And that's why it could be talking about the deaconess. But at Crosspoint, we've studied this extensively. We want to be extra, specially biblical. And what we've considered is what seems to be taking place here. This seems to be speaking of the women that are connected to the deacons. And now where we're going to address this morning, the women that are connected to the elders. For a couple of reasons. First of all, this seems to be pointing to the wives of deacons and elders because it would be weird for there to be a separate list of qualifications for the deaconess than the deacon. The thing about a female senator has the same list of qualifications as the male senator. A female physician has the same list of qualifications as the male physician. Female dentist, male dentist. It would just be weird for women to have a different list of qualifications. This seems to be pointing to the wives of the deacons. And the fact that that word there is not there, it seems to be pointing to the wives of the elders as well. And that's how we're going to address it this morning we're going to speak to the wives of the elders and the deacons. So Don Rodden, Deborah Ruth, Amy Wade, Lindsay Sutton, Wendy Atkinson, Geneva Ott, Shelley Carroll, Jennifer Holt, Shona McKinney, Corey Petzold, Tara Hicks, Tiffany Feasel, Shauna Livingood, Stephanie Hamilton, Christy Cardwell, Karen Mayo, Lori Roberts, and Christy McGraw. These are for you. The first is dignified. Same word that was used for the deacons, it means reverent, reverable, respectable, worthy of respect or honor. She needs to be serious about the things that are important. She's to be a woman of upright character and integrity. That means that she's not a fake. It means she's authentic and genuine and teachable and humble and sincere. The wives of the deacon and the elder are to be worthy of respect, honor, admiration, love, and affection of God's people. The wife of an elder or deacon whose life or manner or conduct or thoughts and attitude are not honorable or in some way are not worthy of respect and admiration means that she does not meet this qualification as the deacon or elder wife and she leaves her husband unqualified. You got to understand that the man is connected to the woman. There's a oneness there, both in service to the church as well. It doesn't mean that that woman is a deacon. But if she's married to a deacon, she has expectations and qualifications, and the same is true for the elder. There's a responsibility here. Her life and manner and conduct and thoughts and attitude are to be revereable, respectable. Next, she's not to be a slanderer. This word in the original language is the word diabolos. If you know your Spanish, and actually I learned this word whenever we first moved to our neighborhood and I was meeting people door to door, passing out some cards, trying to share with them about Crosspoint. And I won't say what neighbor this was, but somebody was describing another neighbor next door to him and said, oh, have you met El Diablo next door? Not real savvy on my Spanish, but I figured it out. That boy was calling his neighbor Satan. And it wasn't Jeff Wade or Ken Rodden, <laughs> Scott McCullough. It wasn't any of those guys. Speaking about somebody else, it's irrelevant. But this picture here for a slanderer is that this word, it's translated 35 times in the New Testament as Satan. 
It's translated three times when it refers to a person. And you've got to understand that it is quite Satan-like to slander someone else. It's operating just like Satan, diabolos. And the wives of elders and deacons have to be very careful with what they know, for they can burn down the house with their tongues. I'm going to read. I was really wondering if I should share this quote from John Calvin, but I'm going to share it anyway. I may ask for forgiveness later, but I didn't say it. I'm just reading it. (laughs) Calvin says, Talkativeness is a disease among women, and old age usually makes it worse. He says, in addition to this, women are never satisfied with their talking till they have become prattlers and scandal mongers, attacking everyone's reputation. The result is that old women, by their slanderous garrulity, that means talkativeness and loquaciousness, as by a lighted torch, often set many homes on fire. It's a guy that pastored for nearly 30 years. Not real nice. It's not as redemptive as I would like to present it. That this shouldn't and doesn't have to be so for the people of God. That's the natural woman. We are to be supernatural. The wife of the deacon and the elder should help their husbands preserve and encourage and build up the people of God, not burn their houses down and the house of God by slandering other people. Third, she's to be sober-minded. That word means vigilant. The wife of the elder and deacon has got to realize that Satan is busy and he would love to devour the church. In fact... First Timothy, actually, look, oh, you don't even need to look there. I'll just read to you. Second Timothy chapter 3. Paul is telling Timothy, he says, there's a time coming in the last days where you're going to see something happen. In the last days, there will come days of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Watch the self-lover. Watch this. The self-lover, he loves money. He's proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to his parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. He's talking about people in the church. He's not talking about wicked Joe out on the street. He's talking about people in the church. And he says, avoid such people, for among them are those, the self-lover, who creeps in households and captures weak-willed women. It captures women that are not vigilant and are not on guard. They're burdened with sins and they're led astray by various passions. And he lures them away, lures them away from the faith. That happens all the time, people. And the deacon's wife and the elder's wife has got to be sober-minded and vigilant. This woman is serious about guarding her heart. She's teachable. She must be teachable. She must be searchable. If she's not searchable, then she's got no teamwork. She's got nobody else to help her. And there's too much at stake for her not to be searchable. She's searchable, realizing what's at stake if Satan creeps in. She must keep a close watch over her heart, lest there arise any root of bitterness, any unbelief, or any sinful practices of life, speech, or thought. She must keep a close watch on her life to see if she's neglecting the things of God or the people of God. And lastly, for the woman, if she is to be faithful in all things, it means she's to be trustworthy and dependable and reliable The elder or the deacon should be able to trust his wife in everything. Some cool results for the man that serves well. Verse 13. 
For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The deacon that serves well gets a great standing and great confidence in the faith. And there is a reality that some deacons serve better than others. And the ones who serve well are well thought of. And I'll tell you why they're well thought of. They're not getting the praise of men. It's just people are enjoying Christ serving through them. They're on the receiving end of the hand of God, ministering to them. They're seeing God at work in ordinary men who are faithful and diligent and vigilant. And as Christ is enjoyed through their feeble hands of service, that's the way I feel every week, through feeble mouths of preaching. As Christ is enjoyed week by week and as through feeble hands of service, these guys, the ones that serve well, experience a mighty confidence that God is true. He's for real. Because they know how feeble their hands are. And they see an outcome that's greater than their hands. And it says God is true. He's for real. All deacons should strive to serve well because of the alpha deacon that you represent. I'll show you one last passage briefly. Turn there. Romans chapter 15. I want you to see this because I want you to see this corporately. Considering the deacon, this is really a passage that I've delighted in this last week as I've been studying. Because I feel like we need to consider the alpha servant, the alpha deacon, Jesus in Romans chapter 15, verse 8, listen this morning, everybody that's connected to the people of God. Listen to what happens when the deacon deacons. It says, For I tell you that Christ became a diakonon. It's another version of diakonos. Christ became a servant to the circumcised. That would be the Jews. Look, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Jesus became a diakonos. He became a servant to the Jews to show God's truthfulness, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and he became a servant in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Do you realize the sweetest evangelistic instrument that the people of God could have at Crosspoint Fellowship is the deacon? That every single one of us could walk away going, man, God is so true. It confirms everything he said. It confirms what I've read. And the Gentiles could go, man, his mercy's sweet. Look at the diakonos. I've never connected that. The deacon is such an important role in the body. Show me a body where the deacons aren't serving, and I'll show you a malnourished body. And I want to confess something to you. Before about six, eight months ago, we were that body. In the last six to eight months, the deacons that we have right now have been stepping up. Man, it's ministered to me. We have so far to go. If you paid attention this morning, you agree. We have so far to go. But it's such a sweet ministry when you see it in motion. I'll leave you with a final quote from Calvin, and then we'll call up our new deacons. 
Calvin said the office of deacon is not at all an earthly office. But it has a spiritual charge from God. They are not only in a public estate, but they belong to the spiritual regime of the church. And they are there as God's officers. The deacons are chosen to be like the hands of God. And they are there in a sacred office. How rich. How rich is that? Let's have our new deacons come up. Clay Petzold, Scott Fiesel, John Hicks, Drew Livingood, and Aaron Hamilton. Y'all come up here, please. Right, right up here. Whoa. Elders, y'all come on up. Steve Mayo is going to pray for y'all, and Steve Roberts is going to pray for your wives. Okay? Y'all come in here close. Go ahead, Steve. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you raise up men in this body and in your body to serve in this uh, position. Father, we thank you for these men as you've raised them up, as we've seen them grow in you, grow in your word, grow in their passion for you and your word, and then how they've ministered your word to others. Father, uh, we've heard it taught that this is not something that happens at this point for these men, but this is something that they are now, have been. And we pray we'll continue to be mm-hmm. lovers of you, lovers of your word, passionate for one another, passionate for the body of Christ, and willing to be poured out <clears throat> to the benefit, nurture, care of this body. Father, we thank you that, that uh, as we've heard qualifications... We thank you that you have men who meet those qualifications. Mm-hmm. And Father, that's your design. Because these men, just like all the rest of us, have been made supernatural through your grace, through your action in their lives. And it is that beginning, that supernaturalness that as you develop it, as you grow it, becomes the passion for the body, becomes the passion for the word, and becomes the willingness and the desire to put all other things aside for the benefit and glory of your name, to develop praise for you, and to the benefit of meeting the needs of the body, physical and spiritual. Father, I thank you for these men. I thank you for their families. I thank you for their walk, for their wonder of you, for their display of grace in their lives. I pray that you would continue to build them, grow them, strengthen them, nurture them, apply the word, Father, in every way, 
to these men's hearts. Let them truly hold fast. And let them be uh, an anchor for one another as they share in this ministry. Because this is not something that any one of them does alone, but they do it as a group to this body. And Father, I pray that you would just bring them to know this body and to know its spiritual gifts and know, the, know its desires and know its experiences and know its heart so that they can, to your glory, mobilize all of us in service to you. Thank you so much again for these men. In your name we pray. Amen. Father, this morning we want to thank you for the lives that you've given each one of them. Father, we see them as a gift from you and for their help. And Father, we pray that uh, their wisdom would be from you. They themselves and full of your spirit. Father, so remindedness would be just couched in obedience and surrender to your spirit. Father, that they would be dignified, respectful. Father, their lips would be guarded. And whatever they say would give honor to you and to their husbands. And Father, in all things, they would be found faithful to their husbands, to this body, and most importantly to you, Father. <laughs> Father, we see these men and their wives as gifts <laughs> for your purpose in this body. I'll pray as one, each of them will serve with an unworldly humility, stands ready to hear your word and respond to it in meekness. Deacons, stay up here for a second. Elders, thank y'all. Y'all can have a seat. I have something for the deacons. It's uh, what we give our deacons at Cross Point to give them a serving vessel. And uh, it's a great picture of the deacon, the role of the deacon. This is for Drew. And those are to be displayed in your home. When, when I come to your home, I want to see them like in, <laughs> prominently. I mean, if they're not there, then you're out. I mean, it's just, just the way it is. So... No, I'm kidding. Just don't want to see him in the dog kennel. <laughs> Scott Feasel. Clay Petzold. Big dog. John Hicks. Before y'all sit down, share one last quote for you, sort of a charge, and then we'll close in song. Y'all stay up there. This is true for y'all. It's true for our existing deacons, and it's true for the rest of this body. It's from a man that studied deacons. John Calvin, we are not our own. Let not our reason nor our will therefore sway our plans and our deeds. We are not our own. 
Let us therefore not set as our goal to seek what is expedient for us according to the flesh. We are not our own. And so far as we can, let us therefore forget about ourselves and all that is ours. Conversely, we are God's. Let us therefore live for Him and die for Him. We belong to God. Let His wisdom and His will therefore rule in our actions. We are His. Let all the parts of our lives accordingly strive toward Him as our only lawful goal. God bless y'all. Y'all have a seat. Let's worship.